0: This is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. This is episode 248, brought to you with listener support. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Mi'kmaq Matters. I'm Glenn Wheeler here with Mi'kmaq Matters correspondent, Greg James, And uh, with spring uh, just about here, according to the calendar anyway, caribou will begin the migration to the interior of Newfoundland on the way to their calving grounds. This year, they'll run into a construction zone brought to them by Marathon Gold. Construction of its Valentine Lake gold mine is now underway. When Halibu First Nation entered into a socioeconomic agreement with Marathon, over the objection of many of its members, by the way, the ability to be involved in environmental monitoring was one of the justifications given by Halibut. But at the council meeting this past weekend, we found out that Halibu is nowhere near doing any kind of monitoring. No one from the band will even set foot on the site until well into the year, late summer or later, it looks like. The excuse given by Halaboos, point person on the mine, who is Central Vice Chief Andy Barker, is that there has been yet another departure from the band's senior staff ranks. This time, its Director of Environment and Natural Resources, Jonathan Strickland. But don't worry, Barker told the meeting. He has had a meeting with Marathon off-site, and the company outlined all the stringent procedures environmentally that it has to go through, to which another counselor replied, just because they say it doesn't make it true. So Greg, this is very concerning. This is the time of year when caribou are at their most vulnerable. It's been a long winter. They're weak. The females are about to calve. And now they're going to have disturbances in their calving areas. And as we know, caribou are very very delicate they're put off by noise and disturbances
1: uh yeah glenn it's been a long winter for sure for these caribou uh, on the barrens uh, the stags will soon leave them and uh, and the females will head off you know to the calving grounds uh, this year they'll like you said will run into the marathon gold project right smack dab in in the calving grounds but there's been some mediation as to uh, uh to lessen the burden on the caribou like noise reduction timings and things like that sounds a bit silly because i, I don't think the caribou run off a clock or what whatever so it's going to be uh, very uh, stressful for these animals in the in the coming years
0: and i suppose the question is will marathon um abide by, by the rules. Uh, we hope they will, and I'm sure they, uh, they'll they do their best to um, abide by the by, by the guidelines. But if there's no one watching, it puts a lot of dependence on Marathon to do the right thing if there's no monitoring.
1: Uh, right, Glenn, that they're uh, being left to police themselves, mm-hmm. and uh, we see that as a as a huge problem here.
0: Greg, uh, the other justification Halibut gave for getting a bit with Marathon was jobs, jobs for Halibut members. But- there seems to be no more to that than the uh, environmental monitoring. According to data provided to Mi'kmaq Manners by Marathon, they directly employ 138 people at this moment. And of those, Marathon says, 4% are Indigenous persons. Or to be more exact, 4% claim to be Indigenous. There's no requirement to show any proof, status card, membership at a community band, etc. That would mean there are six indigenous people working directly for a marathon, assuming they're all legit and fewer or none of the six may be Hullaboo members. So Greg, I think in this self ID approach, there's uh, there's room for abuse.
1: Uh, yes, Glenn. And uh, I reached out to several counselors on this issue alone, asking what checks and balances are in place to see that this is not abuse because right now it's not stopping anyone coming in off the street and saying I'm Indigenous, please put me to the top of the pile. Um, so when we pressed the councillors, they they made no comment.
0: We see this all the time. These mega projects are proposed. Halibut gets on board, and with all these, they see uh, you know they see the lights, the lights of uh, jobs and all the other benefits, but. A lot of it uh, doesn't come true. And, uh, of course, in the port-to-port uh, wind energy development, same thing. We see in the uh, letter from uh, Brendan Mitchell to Mr. Risley, uh, Chief Brendan Mitchell is all excited over the training facility that uh, Halibut is going to get to train people for the uh, for the wind energy industry but we see on the news that we're getting two courses at the uh, College of the North Atlantic so no new facility but two courses at uh, at CNA and speaking of wind energy uh, Greg you were in court on uh, March 3rd you were there with Justin Brake uh, at the injunction hearing against the land defenders a lot of the the evidence used against the land defenders by John Risley and World Energy comes from a controversial security guard. Let's listen to a bit of what Justin Brake tells us in Berry Grounds, his new podcast.
2: In January, some residents in the community of mainland blocked access to a road, saying the company's preliminary work at a proposed site was contaminating their water supply. The company, World Energy GH2, denies the allegation. Then, it took a page from the Nalcor playbook, and pulled a trump card. The company, run by billionaire John Risley, went to the Supreme Court of Newfoundland and Labrador and asked a judge for an injunction against the land defenders. The photos of protesters World Energy GH2 submitted to the court? Those were part of an affidavit signed by a man named Matthew Sekela. Sekela is a former BC police officer who, according to his own LinkedIn page, has Planned and executed several hundred tactical operations, and has been trained by Navy SEALs, Delta Force, Army Rangers, and various SWAT teams. A member of the Abbotsford Police in 1999, Sakala led his tactical unit in raiding a home belonging to a man thought to be in possession of marijuana and an illegal weapon. But as the cops burst into the home with their MP5 machine pistols, that's not what they found. Instead, a dramatic scene unfolded. Fourteen children and thirteen adults were gathered for a child's birthday party. But that didn't stop the cops from searching the home, handcuffing some of the kids' parents, and shooting and killing the family dog in front of some of the children. In 2000, the B.C. Police Complaints Commission found Sekela guilty of two counts of discreditable conduct. But Sakela appealed to B.C.'s Court of Appeal and won. He now runs his own company, Tactical Synergy, and has been contracted by private investigation, intelligence gathering, and surveillance firm, Paladin Risk Solutions. That is who Risley's company hired in response to the port-a-port protests.
0: That was just a break on his podcast, Barry Grounds. Great to have Justin back in Amastaqueg. Greg, uh, it's interesting to note that none of the land defenders... Were charged with vandalism. We saw that at a certain point there, we on the uh, in the media, we saw these crash windshields of some construction equipment. They in part relied on that for, to get this injunction. I don't think the the women that we saw that we see um, out at the uh, the camp there are the kind of people going going around breaking windshields in uh, construction equipment.
1: Uh, you're right, Glenn. None of the land defenders have been charged. Uh, there is no evidence against uh, them in this uh, in the vandalism. Yet the vandalism, as being used to get the injunction, and the vandalism uh, uh, occurred uh, three days after uh, this question uh, security guard showed up on scene. So, um, in my uh, in my talks with with the land defenders, no one no no one has been back there. So uh, they were they were just surprised to hear that the vandalism occurred um, when they were blocking the. Uh, the road.
0: It sounds like they found out about it uh, the same time as everyone else. It's unfortunate that uh, the construction equipment got got vandalized so soon after uh, this uh, agent of uh, John Risley and World Energy arrived on the scene. In other news, there was salmon news this week. We got the DFO assessment of salmon stocks for Newfoundland and Labrador. In Labrador, only one of the five rivers monitored is critical, but on the island, it's a different story an alarming story especially on the south coast returns to con river where the third lowest on record since 1986 con river would see about 8 to 10000 salmon return to the river 30 years ago the stock has been dropping ever since this past 3 years fewer than 300 fish have returned according to dfo dfo is trying to figure out the connection between aquaculture on the south coast and the salmon decline DFO salmon stock biologist Nick Kelly was quoted in the media stories last week. He was also the guest here on Mi'kmaq Matters on episode 174. And at that time, he talked about the connection between sea lice and interbreeding on the decline of salmon on the south coast. You know, we don't have information specific to the south coast of Newfoundland uh, on this. But the fact that it's been documented in several other regions of the North Atlantic, you know, suggests that it could be an issue here. So just because we don't have any information at the moment on it, it would be a bit naive to suggest that it it might not be a problem here. And we're not saying that sea lice could be completely driving the declines that we see, but it could be another factor that in combination with marine conditions, whether it's temperature, food availability, predation, things like that, It could be uh, just another factor that could be reducing the survival of these young smolts when they first go to sea from year to year. That was Nick Kelly from DFO. And Greg, you've been talking to some anglers on the south coast, and um, they have some eyewitness reports of what uh, they see on the rivers these days. Tell us uh, what you found out from them.
1: Glenn, I uh, reached out to some experienced anglers, uh, four of them. Uh, they didn't want to speak uh, on uh, on audio, but uh, they told me about their experiences uh, over there uh, and combined experience of over 200 years between these four. Uh, so they know, certainly know what's going on with the river. I've asked them some very poignant questions like, um, have you seen farmed salmon in the river? And they all have said yes uh, at some point in time. They have all caught uh, what they uh, testified to be a farm salmon. I said, How do you know the difference? Uh, how would you know it's a farm salmon? And they all said it, w- it would be compared to like uh, pulling a rubber boot uh, to shore. There was no fight in these fish. Um, you know, there one gentleman sent me the uh, pictures of the contents of the belly in one of these salmon. And he said, in his 35 years, he has never seen anything like it. And I also asked him if they have seen diseased salmon in in the rivers. and he said, absolutely. Uh, there was um, deformations. Uh, there were uh, a lot of accounts of sea lice. And uh, one gentleman told me that uh, you know, he said, I, I really don't think there are that many wild salmon left in our river. And how do we know? since there was no science being done on these rivers for a very, very long time. Um, all, all four of these uh, experienced anglers um, express uh, a, a lot of concern. And one of them said that, I really think it's too late to turn back the clock now. Oh. So, um, some very compelling stories that they had to tell us.
0: It's a bit surprising that uh, DFO only now is looking at the connections between aquaculture and um and the demise of the uh, of the wild salmon so as you say uh, it may be too late
1: well glenn how how does the science work on the uh, west coast and not on the south coast
0: mm, quite so, so yes
1: dfo needs to look at their own science there
0: so uh, to you fans of fish farms and burgio please take note And that's it for the program. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest in Mi'kmaq news and views. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Hillary McGinnis is our researcher. For Greg James, this is Glenn Wheeler saying, I'm